welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the not so deep dive episode on Chit Chat Money. This is a show where we go over a single stock in about 30 to 45 minutes. This is the first look typically. And for this show, it definitely is the first look on a company. Uh, We're going through the basic SEC filings, looking at kind of the earnings reports, conference calls, kind of get the basic overview. So maybe, you know, if you think it looks like a good business, kind of inspire research further. And today we're talking Zoom info. Ryan, it was your pick. I know it was a big recommendation from some of the listeners, but I have to ask Brad, have you looked at this business before? Have you, um, I don't know, have you seen it before looking at it for the show? Uh, super briefly, I've never, I, I, I have not read the S1 or or uh, dug into their filings or anything, but I, I was familiar with what they did uh, and, and the success that they were having. Yeah. Interesting business. Name isn't that Great. I don't think it's a bit misleading on what the business is. You kind of have no idea what it is, uh, but it's not that hard to understand uh, when we get into it. You kind of see the value proposition once Ryan will get into and describe that. But first, we got to talk about our sponsor for the Tuesday episode today, and that is Potential Multibaggers. The aim of the Potential Multibagger service is to find stocks that can go up 10x over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. And their track record so far since launching in 2017 has been fantastic. You've probably heard Chris, who runs the service on our show before. And if you want a tidbit of his sort of analysis, go listen to his shows that he did with us on Upstart, on Fiverr. And I guess that one's more than a year old now, but C-Limited from over a year ago. He does research on kind of high growth stocks. The ones that, like the service says, can be a potential multi-bagger. They're going to be maybe higher risk, but the potential for reward is there. And they do plenty of great research. So if you subscribe to the service, it's not like he's just recommending you these picks, black and white. He's going through his analysis. He'll communicate with you. He'll give you a great overview on how to invest in these high growth names or companies. I should call them that instead. Um, help you out on your journey if that's something you want to do. So if you want to become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value. Google it or go to at From Value on Twitter. If you can't find it or having struggle finding it, email us or message us if you know where to find us and we'll connect you. All right, Ryan, do you want to talk about Zoom Info? Yeah, the Zoom Info describes describes themselves as a leading go-to-market intelligence platform for sales and marketing teams. Um, and I guess in more layman's terms, what I understand is that they are a data bit, a database of business information that sales organizations subscribe to or subscribe to get access to. Uh, and they use it basically as lead gen and as a way for them to kind of expedite the sales process. Um, and, and the goal really for Zoom Info is to give sales teams more accurate information, generate better leads and shorten that sales cycle. Um, and then as far as the data collection process, they, 
they gather it in a few different ways. So they either purchase it from like data aggregators or uh, gather it from public sources. Or if you want to look at another company's data or another person's data on Zoom info, and you're just like a random person, you can put your email in and you put like your business contact info, and then you get access to it, like free access, um, which I think is limited in this capacity. Um, but that's kind of a way to get that sort of network effect going and get more organic uh, data uh, growth. And then they uh, they also help out along the sales process. So it's not just that it's not just that they're generating leads; they're also helping out over the life cycle. So here's a quote from their S one. They say, uh, "Paid users leverage our platform to identify the best target customers." pinpoint the right decision makers, obtain continually updated predictive lead and company scoring, monitor buying signals and other attributes of targeted companies, craft the right message, engage via automated sales tools and track progress through the deal cycle. So uh, they, they call it AI, but basically they're like scoring whether or not the likelihood of the uh, sale is going to convert. Um, and I've, I, I'll get into it in the anecdotal evidence, but I have some experience dealing with that because I was uh, a cold caller way back when, um, and it helps to have some of that stuff and to actually have useful information, having a database with stuff where you're calling people that have moved on from the company, have, uh, have no business answering your calls, that kind of stuff can be really frustrating. So it sounds like Zoom Info is a more modern solution for it. Um, and then history, Zoom Info was originally founded in 2007 by Henry Shuck. At the time, it was known as Discover Org, and the focus was really on serving enterprise clients. It actually stayed as Discover Org until 2019 when it acquired Zoom Info. Uh, and then they changed the business name to that. I remember, I, I think I heard the CEO talking about how uh, they had consulted with a lot of customers and the customers said, you know, we really, uh, we, we like your solution, but for when it comes to small and medium-sized businesses, we prefer Zoom Info. You should look at them, you know, consider what they're doing. And so uh, Henry Shuck was impressed enough to go out and try to acquire the company. And they always were funded by debt. Um, they may have done some funding rounds as well, but early on that, that was basically how they did it. Uh, that's basically how they grew was they would get debt, acquire more companies, and they'd focus on cash flow and profitability because they had to pay off that debt as opposed to just pure BC funding rounds. Um, and then nowadays, it, uh, I guess even prior to the Discover Org acquisition of Zoom Info, Zoom Info themselves had made several acquisitions. So it's really become this kind of uh, blended database that can span sort of the business size spectrum. Um, and really you can get business contact info on pretty much anyone you might want. Um, and then a year after the Zoom Info acquisition, they went public. Um, so it's been, I want to say nine months, maybe three no, quarters. No, they were in 2020. So I were believe they? it's over two years or almost two years now. I think it could have been okay. late 2020 though. Well, I'll take a look at it, but that's pretty much the history. It looks like they've had, oh yeah, they've had six quarters as a public company. Okay. 18 um, months there. Yeah. Um, sorry. You have anything else? No, that's it. Okay. Yeah. They have, they're kind of a mismatch of products. You would look, it's kind of hard to look at um, when they have all these out there. They're basically a serial acquirer, but they want to be the holistic platform it doesn't, for the database stuff. It doesn't feel when you, I, I watch some sort of program tutorials or platform tutorials, and it doesn't feel like this hodgepodge of mixed databases. It it's, it is on the back end, I guess, but it really is presented as sort of one holistic platform. Okay. Uh, I'll hit industry and competition. They estimate they have a $70 billion TAM, which if you don't know, is total addressable market. Uh, that seems a bit fishy to me. I, 
I don't know where they're getting that number from. It seems a bit large for their sort of niche products that they have, but um, this is not an industry I'm well aware of. So either way, they're doing less than a billion dollars in revenue right now. So I think they're not really reached any sort of market saturation. And good news is they don't think they have any direct competitors because in their 10K, they explicitly state that they do not have any direct competitors at the moment. Or if anyone says they're a direct competitor, they're actually a pretender. Um, they don't say that, but they kind of you know say it in more professional SEC filing terms. However, there are tons of little products or companies that are basically tiny products that offer something that is either adjacent to what Zoom Info does, or maybe a small slice of the pie. And they actually like to acquire those. Um, sometimes they made the recent ones, uh, what were they called? Ring lead, stuff like that. Uh, but potential competitors and frenemies that seem to be the biggest potential threat to them or the biggest potential partners are Microsoft through, they have their own sort of uh, I believe they have a CRM solution, but I could be reading that wrong. I don't know Microsoft exactly well, but there's a LinkedIn product that is sort of a competitor, but it's more for recruiting and stuff like that. So it overlaps slightly with Zoom Info a bit. But then the big potential competitors are the CRM platforms or companies that own a CRM platform. So Salesforce, HubSpot, Oracle. And right now, Zoom Info is partnered with them. So, I mean, that's great. You can kind of see why a CRM platform would be, you know, really nice to merge with Zoom Info and Zoom Info just kind of gets integrated into that. You can see how a salesperson would love that. But over time, there could be that potential threat of those companies starting something like Zoom Info is done right now. But it's interesting that no one has yet. So maybe that is kind of a sign that there's a moat, but I don't know the industry as well enough to, uh, to understand that. But Brad, you want to talk about management and ownership? Yeah. So co-founder and CEO is Henry Shuck, as Ryan was talking about. Um, he was a former professor at Washington State. Shout out to, to Ryan and Brett. Yeah, um, go Cougs. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Former uh, founder, or I mean, he, he was the founder and the CEO of Discover Org, um, which he built to $350 million in ARR right out of college, uh, which I, I found pretty impressive. Um, and then they had that, that merger and rebranded to Zoom Info, um, as we were talking about. Uh, he did go to Ohio State for undergrad, but I, I won't hold that against him as a Michigan alum. Uh, and he does sport a lofty 84% Glassdoor rating uh, with a lot of views. So you can you can take that pretty seriously. Uh, the other co-founder is Kirk Brown. Does not look like he's still involved with the company, but he, he's got a, a pretty hefty ownership stake, which I'll, I'll explain later. Um, he It looks like he was right. He was with Discover Org right up until the Zoom Info deal. He was a pro caddy beforehand. I thought that was pretty cool. And a sales representative at a Fortune 500 company. Um, and, and he was really responsible for, for heading the R&D department while at Discover Org. Uh, but when the merger happened, he, it, it looks like he kind of uh, he, he kind of took his, 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 his wild fortune that he'd built and, and, and wanted to do some other things. But the CFO is Cameron Heiser. He's been there since 2018. He was the CFO at Benchmarking Partners for a year in, 20, in 2004. And he's been a board member since then uh, with benchmarking partners. He's the former CFO of a company called Ease Software Group. So he led it from 30 million to 290 million in ARR. He led a successful exit for over a billion dollars. So um, pretty successful experience there. The COO is Chris Hayes. A lot of experience with companies that I've I've never heard of, really small private enterprises. Um, and, and he's and he's pretty new to the company. Uh, the chief product officer is Hila Near. I'm sorry if I pronounced that. Incorrectly, uh, that which I, which I probably did. She has been with the company since 2011, so longest tenured employee outside of uh, Shuck uh, on the executive team. 
Uh, she started with the company as a VP of marketing, and she's climbed her way all the way up to the C to a C-suite position. So good for her. Uh, former senior auditor at Ernst Young, um, and, and some other experience again that that wasn't super notable. But uh, for in terms of ownership, uh, triple class share structure not not my favorite way of 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 uh, of issuing equity. But but oh well, it's not really a deal breaker. It's more of just a, a, a nitpicking for me there. But um, Shuck owns 1.3% of Class A. 33% of class B and none of class C voting power for a total of, of 23% of the overall voting power. Um, sorry, I, 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 he owns that those percentage of the share classes for a total voting power of 23%. Kurt Brown, uh, who is the other co-founder who I said, as I mentioned, isn't super involved with the company, but he does own 28% of class B shares. So he's got almost 20% of the overall voting power. So he's, he's still very much so a player in the company. A lot of there's a lot of funds involved uh, with well over 50% combined voting power. It was a little bit difficult to actually arrive at that number just because there's so many overlapping um, ownership stakes between some of the funds and the, and the people representing them. But it, it's it's a very healthy, hefty um, ownership stake, and it's only been rising um, since since the IPO came out. So uh, no no red flags, no no real yellow flags. Just just kind of really nit nitpicking at the triple class share structure. But uh, that's just me. I will add uh, in the latest quarterly report, they said uh, Zoom Info's board of directors unanimous, unanimously approved the elimination of the UPC corporate structure and moved to a single class of common stock. So it sounds like they uh, are taking your uh, concerns and uh, uh, fixing their structure. Yeah, let's yeah, that, would, uh, that would be, um, I, I didn't read that. So thank you for adding that. That's a, a needed addition, but that would be uh, very welcome um, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, the complicated stuff is just uh come on. Let's just <laughs> let's not do that. Why are you doing it? But uh yeah, I'll hit valuation. I'll say fair warning here. This ties back into the share count stuff. Market cap is actually different in a lot of places. It has a Dutch Bros feel to it. Uh we recorded one of that show back in I believe September or October. That one was more even more confusing and especially when they're right they were going public, people had the the market cap way off, which was huge. Uh they had a similar thing here too. But I just took the latest 10Q, which may not be exactly what it is now, added up the share counts, and then multiplied it by the share price. It could be slightly different because they had an absurd amount of Form 4s going out since this quarter. They've had 10, I think it was 100 since the end of the last quarter, which yeah. is like, I'm not reading all those. Uh, but market cap, from my estimation, is about $24.4 billion. Ticker is ZI. Price of sales, 36.7. So very expensive, price to gross profit of 42.5. So as you can see, very high gross margins and price to operating cash flow of 82.7. So very strong conversion from gross profit to cash flow while they are growing. Some of that is stock-based compensation. It's not all stock-based compensation. It's not like a snap scenario where it's 300% or something like that. They have just under 4 million RSUs and options outstanding versus almost 400 million shares outstanding. So I don't think there's going to be a huge future headwind from the shares outstanding. However, they've employed some of those tricky things with, they had this thing called the unit co or the op co, something like that, where they have the tricky tactics that have led to some of the solution recently. And actually that kind of feels like a bit of a risk to me because on the conference call, uh, and this was a bit embarrassing for the analyst. An analyst said, so we'll your market cap at about $16 billion. And they said something about blah, 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 what they're going to do for capital allocation. And then the CEO or founder, I think it was him, stepped in and he was like, actually, wait, our market cap's 25% um, higher than you're stating. And then I, I'm sure the analyst and everyone's like, what? What do you mean? Like, uh, <laughs> uh, 
I'm sure <laughs> whoever that analyst was must have had a hard day at work. Yeah, I think everyone did because the if you look at their share count, uh, no one was really talking about this, and their share count went from um, this could be part of that merger thing that they're doing. It went from 200 million in October of this year to now 400 million. So if you're really interested in this company, you got to figure those share count things out. Um, it's too complicated to talk about this on the show, but yeah, there's some tricky things there. Also, if you're ever unsure, email, uh, you can email investor relations and ask, I had to do that for Dutch bros and they gave you, they will give you the, uh, stated share count. And if they give it to you, yeah, but what about those options or warrants coming down the line? You gotta, you know, or some weird, fully diluted. Yeah. Yes, yeah. ask for that. But th- there's some tricky things like Dutch Bros. They probably said what it was, but they had some great, you know, the options out there that were they're quite large as well. Um, I don't know. They can help though. IR helps. All right, Ryan, do you want to hit earnings? Yeah. And uh, I thought I had something to add to that, but I'm forgetting it now. So I'll just get into the earnings. Uh, their third quarter revenue was 197.6 million. It's up 60% year over year. Uh, they have 81% gross margins. Uh, this quarter, they generated 73.3 million in unlevered free cash flow, which was a 37% uh, unlevered free cash flow margin. But they do have a lot of interest payments on their debt. And Brad's going Brad's to get into this. We talked about it. They use debt to fund growth, um, which is not typical of a lot of uh, young tech companies. So ignore ignore that number. <laughs> yeah, like that's they the, give you yeah. an adjusted number, um, oh. but if you take their uh, if you if you just do operating cash flow minus uh, capital expenditures, it's still a pretty high margin. I would also do business acquisitions too, since they're a serial acquirer. Yeah, and you can, uh, they give you that information. Uh, it's right there in the cash flow statement. So, um, all in all, it is still pretty high free cash flow margins. They are very focused on profitability. Um, and they closed this quarter with 25,000 customers, company customers, and more than 1,250 customers uh, with over $100,000 in annual contract volume. Um, so, all in all, they are growing fast. Uh, they're adding a lot of customers. They are not only helping salespeople, but they are a sales business. And the the CEO Chuck uh, seems very focused on uh, that. Was kind of, that felt like his expertise was sales. Um, and I also now I'm remembering this, but uh, since they were always a debt funded company, uh, they didn't have a lot of they didn't use options as a form of compensation for uh, it sounds like a lot of their history. But in an interview with the CEO, he said. There's no excuse now not to attract talent. You're a public, we're a public company. We're young. We're growing. We can use stock as a way to get the best people in our roles. So it sounds like he tends to use that uh, as a part of their compensation or as a way to compensate employees moving forward. SBC has grown. Yeah. So I think yeah. uh, expect some more options to come down the line. Brad, do you want to hit balance sheet and liquidity? For sure. Uh, so around $235 million in cash and very highly li- liquid short-term investments. Um, if you want to be friendly to them, you can add another $75 million in net receivables and another $56 million in prepaid expenses uh, for liquidity of about, total liquidity of about $350 million. Uh, and then they have $1.2 billion in long-term debt uh, with about a billion of that raised this year. Uh, and then the interesting thing about this is um, kind of related, they, they raised $650 million in senior notes at a 3.875% interest rate. So really not ridiculous um, in the grand scheme of things. And they used a lot of that um, to repay a first lien term loan with a higher interest expense 
uh, which I kind of, which their, their interest expenses as a percentage of revenue actually rose um, this quarter versus uh, when you average it out over the entire year. So hopefully um, that that will be a peak and it'll go down now that they've refinanced some of this debt. Um, but they are, and then they also have, uh, and they also have another $250 million first lien credit revolver for added liquidity. Um, so yeah, uh, like Brad and Ryan were saying, um, the balance sheet is pretty unique compared to some of the other SaaS players and some of the other, uh, software technology players that, that, that we look at, um, that we know and love. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot different and I'm not saying it's a lot worse or it's a lot better. Um, it just raises uh, it raises the bar for cash flow generation, which fortunately for this company is very strong. Yeah, yeah, shouldn't have any worries of that if you're cash you know cash flow generating company. And I kind of like it better than doing a common stock offering um, if you are cash flow positive because I don't know it's cleaner. I think you can get a better return on that debt, especially if it's long term and you're already cash flow positive. It's just, I, I don't know. I've seen it before with companies raising, doing stock offerings. Maybe if you have a premium valuation or something, it's fine, but I've seen it before. Oh, who would it be? Peloton? I guess they're not cash flow positive. They added. Brad, do you have something to add there? Yeah. Just, I mean, the, the stock's done extraordinary, extraordinarily well since it IPO'd, I think, unless I'm just completely wrong, but, I, 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 but I'm pretty sure it's done very well. And in management, um, telling you that, yeah, we're, we're going to continue to raise debt instead of equity just tells you maybe we don't think our, our, our equity is, is all that unreasonable right now. And maybe we think, like you're saying, the, the opportunity cost of raising, this, of raising this equity is a lot higher than with debt because they're expecting great returns. So it's just a very small piece of anecdotal positive evidence. Yeah, it's a good point. All right, let's hit the ad break and we'll get back and get more of our analysis and what we think about Zoom Info stock. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust, and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us opportunities. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Okay, welcome back. We have anecdotal evidence. Uh, Brad, do you have any? I know Ryan has some. I, I don't have any. No, but respect to Ryan for being a cold caller at some point in the past. That, that's not, that is not a fun job. No, it was terrible. It was uh, sort of one of those first jobs. And I, I guess this is not necessarily anecdotal evidence of Zoom Info, but I would have killed to have Zoom Info from what I've seen uh, because the company I work for basically gave me just a unorganized spreadsheet full of names that they probably bought from some data aggregator and it was all outdated. And people had moved on from jobs. And so Zoom Info, it seems like they bring a lot more relevant, useful, uh, accurate information, which can save a ton of time for salespeople. Um, and so that, I imagine, uh, provides a lot of value to their customers. Yeah. Understanding the value proposition seems pretty easy here. I actually, th like you can understand this a lot more, and maybe it's because I'm not a salesperson, than a CRM solution like Salesforce. I've never really understood why that's so valuable. Obviously it has to be or else no one would be paying for it, but I kind of understand Zoom Info is a lot better. 
because of all the time you're saving a sales rep. And in that position, you know, the more people you can call that are relevant, the the more the better a company itself will get a return on the spend for that uh, that they're spending on that sales rep. But let's hit future growth opportunities. Uh, Brad, what do you have for us? Yeah, mine's more of a near-term future growth opportunity, but but the macro backdrop I think is very compelling for them. So I'm um, just thinking of variables like school school closures popping up temporarily every now and then, the stimulus checks, um, stock market indexes are, are trading near all-time highs, the creator economy and entrepreneurship is taking off. And all of this is really translating into lower labor uh, participation, uh, which really has not recovered with recovering unemployment rates. Um, and that's pushing wage inflation, which which was a hot topic last last week. And, and that wage inflation really will push enterprises and companies to want to get more out of their resources and, and, and want to raise productivity to combat this, this input cost pressure. Um, and I think that's exactly playing into Zoom Info's um, niche of, of building productivity and, and, and building incremental success um, with, with added efficiencies in the sales process. So that, that just seems like a perfect backdrop for them heading out, out of a, another another perfect backdrop in which remote um, r- remote or remote living, I guess, remote existing really kind of um, was a unique, uh, was a unique variable for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Ryan, what do you got? They, uh, to touch on kind of that point is COVID, they were sort of a COVID beneficiary, I think. Uh, they said, the CEO gave a story of sort of one of one customer example where they used to, and I think they were like an HVAC provider or something, and they would go to each building in like San Francisco um, and they would find the tenants. They'd look up those tenants online. They'd call them and ask them if they needed their services or something like that. And this, and they'd do all that in person. Well, obviously without those people in the office, you can't really it doesn't do much to go to those buildings. So Zoom Info uh, kind of became the destination for all those uh, customers. Uh, but my growth opportunity is going to be um, mergers and acquisitions or just acquisitions, really. Um, and they recently acquired Ringlead and Chorus AI, which will get lumped into, I believe it's getting lumped into the Zoom Info Engage, which Brett's going to talk about here. But the company was built on acquisitions, and I expect this to be a big part of their growth moving forward. They've said it's going to be a big part of their growth moving forward. And they, the other thing that I like is this is a sales organization helping sales teams. And so they, yeah, I believe the Chorus AI came out of it. The reason they acquired them was because their entire sales staff was using Chorus AI all the time. And if I'm not mistaken, Chorus AI basically transcribes sales calls and allows, and there might be more to it as well, but it uh, apparently for most sales representatives, your job is either to sell or to train younger sales reps to become another sales rep. And uh, of course, AI really expedited that process. And so uh, they decided to acquire it and now they can kind of offer it to these other customers that they're servicing as well. They That funnel gives them, I think, a good insight as to what's really valuable to their customers. Um, and so uh, they're in a position to acquire a bunch of those. Yeah, that makes sense. That rolls right into mine, which is Zoom Info Engage. This is a relatively new product they launched that is trying to be help them move downwards instead of just having the data stuff into more of helping people manage the day-to-day process of being a sales rep and relating to all of your clients. Uh, so it, it's basically, it's a little hard to understand as an outsider, but two of their big products are something called an automated dialer that it just helps with efficiency, I guess. And then email automation, which again, will help with efficiency. Really the whole point of Zoom Info is to save you time 
and they're trying to do this with cross-selling you know, th these type of products to more and more of their existing Zoom Info customers. And so far, Zoom Info and Gage has done quite well for them after just launching, I think it uh, probably 2019 or something. It's it's only been a few years at best. I, I didn't get the exact number of the date when it was launched, but they've cross-sold it already to over 2,000 of their customers. So looks like a lot of people want to use it. And remember, like we said before, they only have 25,000 customers. So that's almost 10% of their existing customer base. It seems like this is something everyone's going to want. This can help their net dollar retention rate or, or net re revenue retention, whatever metric they use. That can help that stay high uh, over the next few years and beyond. All right, let's move into highlights and lowlights. Brad, what do you think? Yeah, I think Shuck is a rock star. Um, he built an extremely successful company while an undergraduate. I was I was struggling to, to get decent grades in my classes in undergraduate and can't really imagine um, building an enterprise during that time. So um, just the high, extremely high Glassdoor ratings, the fact that he built a, a hyper growth company with immense capital discipline at his age at that time just is, is extremely impressive to me. But but that kind of leads into uh, the low light, which I, I thought of during the show that that's a little different than the one I have. Um, but but just the fact that uh, this philosophy of raising debt, while, while it did force them to be extremely capital, capital dis, well, well, it forced them to be very disciplined with, with their capital allocation and focus on profitability. And that focus, uh, which is maybe why they're starting to transition to more equity raises, probably capped, uh, probably capped the, the, the spending, the opex that they could do um, to create growth and, and create as, as rapid of, of top line compounding as possible. So the margins are fantastic right now. And, and that might, that, that the, the, it's almost, it's, it's weird saying the margins are too good for where it is in their growth curve, but the margins are fantastic. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's probably partially because they raised all this debt. So maybe uh, precluding them from compounding at as lofty of a rate as they could have without it. Yeah, I kind of agree. Uh, if, it, if it's such a big opportunity and the unit economics are proven it, um, I, w I would rather have them operating at break even. But you well, can't they, complain. Think they're going fast. Well, they really are. Yeah, with acquisitions. True. True. If you but, add back the acquisition expenses, it's not forty percent unlevered free, or it's not forty percent true free cash flow margins. Fake free cash flow. Yeah, I call that fake free cash flow because free cash flow is supposed to be the cash. It's supposed to be the cash available to shareholders. Um, if you're giving us some I mean, that it's not available to shareholders. So yeah. The. Uh, I mean, even X, if you X out, uh, well, I wouldn't necessarily, okay. The, yeah, it's a little bit lower if, if you include the interest uh, expense from debt, but I am not opposed to them using that remaining free cash flow to go out and acquire oh, sure, sure. the businesses if they see a huge opportunity. And I think that's a much better place to uh, invest than to like return it to shareholders at this point. No, oh, sure. I, but I would rather have them spend more on operating expenses. If the unit economics are so great, which they are, then let's grow as fast as we possibly can. They're going at 60%. Some of that's inorganic, I guess, but they're going 60%. So I guess you can't complain. But if we could, you know, if it's just how many sales, how many customers we can get, why not accelerate a bit? Um, but that's a, that's a good problem to have, right? Yeah, it's it's a bit nitpicky. Yeah, I just I just I was gonna say like I'm I'm reaching here. There, there's there's no red flag uh, to, to pick at for a low light. Um, and and using a low light of their margins are too good and they're making too much money feels a little bit wrong. But but that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. My my highlights. Um, 
I like that since Shuck has always relied on debt, he has this focus on generating profits. Um, some, you know, we've seen it where some young tech founders can get a little loose with their spending. Uh, yeah, what do you mean? Rule of 40, you know, we're just going to have 40% negative cash flow margins, but we're growing hundred percent. So it's all, all good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, that, I, that's something I'm not a fan of. Um, uh, other things I like, uh, I guess in theory, the platform gets better the more it's used uh, because you can get, generate more contacts. Um, and so it's something that should get, uh, be more useful to further customers, kind of that, that network effect. Um, low light for me though, and this, I might, this might not be that big of a deal, but most of their data is not first party. It's stuff, if I'm not mistaken, it's really stuff they're acquiring, like they're buying the data. Yeah, I can give some, I have some notes on that for mine that I can get into. Yeah, That's something, maybe it isn't that big of a deal, but it just feels a little less uh, certain that they're going to have that incoming if there's some data crackdown. Yeah, I agree. That'll be my lowlights, but I'll hit my highlights first. I mean, great profit margins. You could see maybe if they were still operating at break even, you could have that, you know, thought that the profit margins would be really high um, as they scale. And yeah, they're non-gap, these are non-gap profit margins. Um, so take those with a grain of salt. But they have proven the profit margins. You could see a path to them even expanding those slowly over time, at least well, maybe not in the short term, but in the long run. Um, there's the clear value proposition to the customer. If it's saving them all this time and making the sales rep that much better, they probably have a lot of pricing power um, and minimal competition from anyone large. It seems like anyone that would be a potential competitor has just partnered with them. And that's kind of coming down to the big question of, is Salesforce a perfect friend? You know, are they going to be partnered with them for life? Like, would Salesforce ever compete with them? or try to take them down. And I kind of come to the big question is what is more valuable in five years from now to a sales rep, Zoom Info or Salesforce? I'd say possibly Zoom Info, but I could be underrating what the value of Salesforce to someone. Um, I, but I also think Salesforce would probably acquire them at the right price. So that's probably a floor and Salesforce loves acquiring people. So Yeah, I imagine uh, most sales reps use both. Exactly. I feel like it's perfect acquisition for Salesforce, but maybe it's a bit too expensive for them right now. Or maybe Zoom and Code, it, it doesn't want to get bought. I think it's better than, I think it's more uh, fitting than Slack. Yeah. Uh, it seems to fit more into their wheelhouse than Slack. I think everyone would agree on that. Yes, for sure. All right. Lowlights though, this is the big risk I think that a lot of people may want to think about is the risks of data and cookies going away and ruining their business. So if I look at their 10K, they had, uh, let's see, where is the risk? Okay, I'm going to read it directly from the 10K and their risk factor. Here's the quote. If the way cookies are used or shared, or if the use or transfer of cookies is restricted by third parties outside of our control or becomes subject to unfavorable legislation or reg regulation, our ability to develop and provide certain products or services could be diminished or eliminated. That's something that I think is a huge risk for this business. One, Google could shut them off whenever they want. And two, the government can shut them off whenever they want. But um, I think it's, it's, it's just tough. I would leave, because I guess I don't know the answer to this, but would that eliminate the data they've already collected or the data that they could potentially collect in the future? Because well, they it, have this big database already. Yeah, but stuff's changing. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a stagnant system. And the whole, their whole yeah. thing is they have the data crawler that goes across the internet and will update their database when, say, a company moves 
buys a new product, does something that will indicate to a sales rep that they're a potential client to go after. So I think it would be a huge risk for their business. Other risk I have here is the ability for Microsoft through LinkedIn, Oracle or Salesforce or HubSpot to be able to replicate the product. I think this is a way lower risk because if they haven't been able to replicate the product, it's probably a lot harder than someone might be assuming. But I still think there is that risk. Like, why are there no competitors? It seems a bit strange to me. Um, All right. Maybe that's a highlight. That's a highlight. And it's also a bit of conundrum. If I was researching that, I would want to research that further if I was interested in this business. All right. Bull case, Brad, what what do you think uh, has to go right here for this to be a good investment? Yeah, I'm going to take a qualitative angle here because it looks like you guys covered uh, the quantitative pretty well. But speaking of of Salesforce and Slack, um, much like Slack or Asana or Monday are becoming integral pieces of enterprise workflows, um, I, I think this needs to reach that that level of ubiquity within sales and marketing departments. Uh, in order to not not just deserve the $25 billion market cap that it has right now, but to 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 deliver that coveted 10-bagger that everyone is focused on and looking for, or that a lot of people are focused on and looking for, um, it, it really needs to, to continue to be this market leader. And, and again, Brad talking about the fact that, okay, $70 billion TAM, um, no competition. Uh, why why is that happening? <laughs> and, and I don't really have a great answer for that. But um, I mean, if there isn't a great answer for that, then this is a really compelling opportunity and, and the bull case is very realistic. Yeah. I'll say money.com is a great product. I think I hate most software products. Money.com is fantastic. Uh, Ryan, what's your bull case? Well, at a $25 billion market cap, which is what we think it is based on the last yeah. 10Q, yeah. Coifin has it at like 30 billion. They're off. They're off. Cause yeah, I think Coifin's wrong, but yeah. okay. Uh, Either way, I think you have to be forecasting out a billion dollars or more in annual free cash flow within the next five years um, in order for this to be a better than market return. Uh, that doesn't seem impossible. I think right now they're guiding for 300 million in unlevered free cash flow for the year, which you're going to have to extract, uh, take back the interest expense on that. But um, it doesn't seem impossible, but that means a lot of growth. Um, yeah, got to expect a lot of growth. Got to expect a lot of growth. Um, I don't, I don't th- mind. Yeah, I know that's not much of a like hot take. Obviously, it's going fast, and the market expects it to. So, yeah, they've ra- yeah they raised their guidance. I mean, this year they've executed wonderfully. Um, yeah, I mean, mine the bull case. The margins are proven out, so I think that's not a concern at all. You're going to have that, but I think you need to see a path to five billion dollars in annual revenue. Um, with that, you could probably see them doing about $2 billion in cash flow. There's going to be some dilution in there, but looking at that versus the current market cap, I mean, you know, they have to get there and they got to be growing kind of at a steady rate because you look at that $2 billion in cash flow versus a market cap of $25 billion. Maybe that would be valued at $50 billion if they weren't growing. But if you expect them to be growing, it's kind of one where you have, you know, if they're growing quickly, they'll probably get a premium valuation. And hopefully over the long term, they could get up to $10 billion in revenue. But again, they're well below 1 billion right now. So that is a long ways away. And you do have to be expecting some high growth here. It feels a bit like a young Salesforce. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I know that's a great comparison to give any company. Um, steady. But- yeah. Steady 20% growth for uh, revenue growth forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What about bear case, Brad? Yeah, uh, 
so all these factors that that may have helped uh, pull forward some demand um, for the company uh, did pull forward that demand. That that's that's the bear case. So uh, looking forward, uh, now that we're on uh, on hopefully the heels of the pandemic, I, I cross my fingers when I say that, or the toes of the pandemic. I don't know. We're at some part of the foot of the pandemic where it's almost over. Um, and and I cross. I, I really hope that's happening, but I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. And then all this macro drama that I kind of went into uh, just really incentivized a lot of of growth and demand and adoption. Um, and then going forward, when things start to normalize and, and smooth out a little bit, uh, that that higher hanging fruit will be met with um, a higher or higher higher revenue growth friction and, and lower margins. And 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 again, I'm 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 just I'm reaching here because they've done a fantastic job executing so far. So the bear case is that they stop doing a fantastic job executing. Uh, simply put. Yep. All right, yeah, Ryan. It doesn't seem we we already highlighted the business risks. Uh, so the real bear case, aside from those, is just multiple compression. I know we say that every time, but this this is at a premium valuation. Um, and I think for those of you that like the growth companies, these last few months should point to the fact that multiple compression can be a real hindrance on your returns. Um, and uh, that's always out there for a company like this. Now, fortunately, they've been growing really, really fast. Um, but there's expectations that they are able to continue doing that. Um, I don't know. That's that's really only the bear case. That's the only bear case I could think of. The business risks don't seem that high to me, except for maybe the data stuff. Yeah, that's my bear case besides the one you guys gave. The data laws could kill the business entirely. There's a lot of talk about cookies. Um, and someone may be laughing if they don't know what cookies are, but it's like the data crawlers type stuff. Uh, you know, accept cookies. That, that's what it is. Uh, if you stop accepting the cookies, you, you can kill it. Is if that, you want Zoom Info to do well. Yeah, make talk sure about a ladder attack. We start have a decentralized ladder attack of it. No one accepts the cookies anymore. <laughs> Sorry, Brad, you have something? Yeah, I just I feel like in this in this black swan world where Google stops playing ball with them, they almost have to go the open internet route and go go pursue a company like Trade Desk and all these first party partnerships that they have to tap into that data treasure chest. So I I, I think that that's a, a large risk uh, that that can be combated with with alternative data sources. But but for sure uh, one of one of the largest bear cases and something to keep closely in mind. Yeah, and that's one of these for us. I would say for certainty, all three of us do not know too much about that type of industry, whatever it is, data collection across the internet. So it's almost the risk is a known unknown kind of deal where you know that you do not know what's going to happen and you do not know anything about the industry, which is just, that's tough for me. Um, all right. More or less interested, Brad, you want to go first here? Yeah, I'm going to go more interested, actually. I, I feel like I haven't been saying that uh, very, very frequently for our, our recent episodes, but but more interested here. Um, the I'd have to I'm I'm going I'm I'm planning on diving deeper into the competitive landscape and, and understanding why it's so wide open at this point in time. Um, when there are definitely companies doing similar things that that it feels like could intuitively and naturally expand into this area. Um, but if the answers are are to, to those questions that I have are are good ones, um, I'm definitely going to take a serious look at this company. Ryan, I'm a little less interested. I. Uh... I'm not fond of investing in companies where it's a platform that I don't interface with at all. Um, and a lot of business to business, especially enterprise software um, fits into that category. That's why I don't own a ton of it. Um, so it, it's something that I got to be really, really at the, at this premium valuation. It's something that I have to know intimately to feel like I have some sort of a, 
uh, inkling as to whether the returns will be uh, above the market. So uh, I'm going to go a little less interested, just not my circle of competence. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. I think this business looks great. I mean, I don't think anyone can look at it and say, this isn't a great business. There's potential for great returns here, but it's just outside of what I like to look for. I, I usually avoid enterprise companies. Um, and that's just, Which, that's the kind of deal. But if that the market is, loves those, but if that is your cup of tea, if that's kind of what you like to look at because it's your niche that you understand well or something like that. I mean, compared to a lot of other ones out there, this one looks like the financials are fantastic and the growth trajectory is great and minimal competition. I mean, that adds up to something where I would typically look at. It's just, it's just the industry is tough for me. And we got a lot of recommendations for the show. Um, a lot of people seem to really like it on Twitter as well. And so I have a feeling that it's the people that use the platform that are really encouraged by it yeah. um, because it seems like they provide a ton of value. Yeah. Value proposition is it's easy to understand. It seems like it's high. Um, all right. Stock for next time. Uh, we're doing this. We're recording this in December, December 21st, darkest day of the year. Fun fact. Everyone, everyone uh, should know that. But the well, this is coming out on January 4th or something. So we're not going to have the next one until mid to late January. So just fair warning, uh, it'll be a month from now. But Brad, it is your choice. And what are we going to do then? Yeah, I didn't run this by you guys beforehand. So if it's, uh, if, if it's not doable, I have a plan B. But how about Lending Club? Haven't heard seems, of it, so let's do it. Seems fine. All right, Upstart, Upstart competitor. Uh, hear a lot about it. I'm, I'm, I'm a big, big Upstart bull, so I've done a little bit of work on it, but, but excited to do more. Nice. Yeah. We should be able to pair that with the upstart not so deep dive we did and that upstart interview we did with Chris who runs potential multi-baggers. That should be a great way to, to pair with that. All right. That's going to do it for this episode, Ryan. Sorry. I should add, this was a listener recommendation. So if you want us to uh, cover a show or cover a company that you're interested in, uh, just to get our perspective on it, uh, feel free to email us chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com. Also, before we do this closure, we are starting to do polls on Twitter for potential shows. So if you want to vote on what shows to listen to, you have to follow us on Twitter, which will be linked in the show notes and give us a rating on Spotify. They just started that out. We're going to hack the algorithm. If you give us a rating, that would be much appreciated. It's right on the homepage. Just give us a tap. Five if you stars. like us, because you got to combat the people that don't like us because there's plenty of them out there. So we get plenty of bad ratings. So the, that, that's right. If you don't give us a five-star review, you are sworn enemies for life <laughs> and you should understand that. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.